Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here tonight on spring break. Yeah, that's exciting. How many of you are positively effective, affected by spring break? Like you either don't have to go to work or your kids are out of school or you're out of school? Okay, some of you. It's exciting. All right, so Pastor Zach asked me to, I'm going to figure out the seat height here in a little bit, but Pastor Zach asked me to speak and uh, had a word on my heart that I wanted to share with you guys. And um, as I was as I was sharing it with some of our staff members, um, I really felt like that um, that the proper context for for giving this word was through more of a conversation than it was through a, a typical sermon. And so that's why I asked uh, Gabe and Kylie to to be up here with me. And uh, hopefully we'll stay engaged with you. I don't I don't want it to feel like we just have our own thing going on up here. Uh, without staying engaged with you. I think that it's certainly going to be um, a blessing to you, and, and if you grab a hold of it, it could be uh, life-changing. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much for being in this place, because when you show up, anything is possible. So we thank you that Tonight, problems are finding solutions, that wounds are being healed, that disease and sickness are leaving, that, uh, that conflicts will find resolution. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us, speaking to us and ministering to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What I want to talk to you tonight about is I want to talk to you about the most dangerous fight you'll ever face. Hyperbole, maybe. I don't think so. But the most dangerous fight you'll ever face. Before we do that, let's meet our, our people that are up here with me. So, so okay. So Gabe has, has ministered a few times. Uh, Kylie he looks like me, so you may think that he has ministered a few times. Uh, but, but yeah, so this is his first time up here. and So I'm proud of Kylie, yeah. That's awesome. So, and I told him I was going to ask a question that was going to make him uncomfortable right out of the gate. So he's, he do. is sweating it. Uh, so, yeah, if you could, I, I, we know your names, but if you could tell us what you do here. And then something that most people don't know about you. Okay, I'll go first. My name is Gabriella Ferguson, um, and I work as our Grow Team Coordinator and Next Steps Coordinator here at the Durant location, and then um, I work on our Next Steps Central team um, for all locations, so that's kind of what I do here. Something most people don't know about me. That's really hard because I'm like kind of an open book and share everything, um, but I was sharing this with my husband a couple nights ago. I was in a commercial when I was really 
actually, I want to say I was really young, but I wasn't. I was in high school, which is terrible because we had to act like we were really young. Um, but it was like aired on Nickelodeon. I still to this day have never seen it and I never want to see it. Yeah, and like, of course, as soon as I say that, my husband starts Googling and trying to find it. And like, yeah, YouTube it's out there on YouTube somewhere. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not there. I haven't found it. So I made the mistake of telling him what, like, the commercial was about. So it kind of, you know, zeroed in his search for it. But I will not tell you those things. However, um, that's something rare that most people have no clue that I was involved in. I don't I even think know. half my family knows. Yeah. So Nice. Kylie, how about you? I am the worship pastor here at this campus, um, and my wife, Amanda, and I have just stepped in as the hub leaders for the Family Marriage Life Group Hub, um, and something that you may not know about me after hearing Gabe's Nickelodeon story, man, that's, you can't talk that, Jeremy, we need to talk after so we can find this video, um, but I think... Um, I, there is an award in Oklahoma for piano that I'm still the only one that has it. Um, but, what but, is this award? But I, I went so many consecutive years getting a superior in a certain competition. Um, but like I went many years after that without playing. So now I'm a very lousy piano player. So there's just, a sermon in that right there. there. Yeah, there sure. Is. Yeah. yeah. You, you I look forward to hearing it. it. You lose it. Uh, all right, so the most dangerous fight you'll ever face is the fight you don't know you're in. The most dangerous fight is the fight you don't know you're in. Because you're in war, but you don't act like it. Have you ever found yourself, have you ever been in a fight that you didn't know you were in at first? You were in the midst of a battle, and it took you a little while to figure out that you're in the middle of a fight. See, even, even the most skilled and the most trained warrior is most vulnerable when he, he or she engages in a fight that they don't know they're in. So, when I wanted to kind of lead this as more of a conversation in kind of a lifestyle type setting where there's time for reflection. Because I really, I want you to think about, because my, my hope and my goal is to walk away from this time together. And we all collectively come into an awareness of what, what fights that we're currently in that we didn't know we were, uh, and that we're more mindful and more watchful for those as they come in the future. So just to get your thoughts, and, and this is a question that I, I asked with most of our staff, and I could have had every single one of them up here because um, they all had great insight. But, you know, I was curious, this is the, the point that I wanted to have this talk around was the most dangerous fight is the one you don't know you're in. And I was curious how that landed with people. Did that make sense? Uh, does it, do you, when you hear that, what comes to mind? So I wanted to, to hand it off to you guys. And when you hear that statement, what comes to mind? Yeah. When I think about that statement in of itself, um, I reminded a lot of just different scenarios within my life. 
um, where honestly there was a huge battle raging around me. And at the time, because I felt like everything was kind of just flowing the normal way, um, I didn't know to actually engage in the battle. And so one of um, the examples I had shared with Austin quite a few years ago now, um, I had a heart problem that was going on. And I was used to, I don't know why, because I had been involved in sports and stuff, so I should have known this isn't how my body normally responds, but um, if I walked upstairs or anything that I did, it would make it really hard to breathe, um, and I just thought I was extremely out of shape. And so um, I didn't know to engage in anything with it. I didn't know I was in a battle for anything, and in the process of um, just kind of random things happening... I began to notice and find out that my heart had some issues with it. And like resting right when I would wake up, it would be like 103 or above. Um, and I wasn't even doing anything. And then when I stood up, of course, mo it went much faster. And, and so there was something wrong. And all of a sudden, whenever I recognized that something was wrong, I realized this battle had been going on inside my body. And yet I wasn't engaged in the war. And yet the enemy the entire time was fighting something and like putting something against me. And because I wasn't engaged in battle, I had no clue what was happening. And so the Lord began to reveal to my heart at that time that it wasn't just my healing that I was after, but it was full health in my body. And he was like, Gabe, if you'll engage with me in full health in your body, then this healing is going to manifest. But yet at the same time, your body is going to operate in health and wholeness, which is what I've called it to be. And so I had to recognize that there was a battle all around me. And I had no clue it was happening. And it was super dangerous for my health. That one that, you know, like wasn't an emotional or anything like that. It was a physical one that once I recognized it, I felt like I was um, walking from behind and having to fight something that I wasn't fully prepared to fight for. And yet coming out of that, you know, the Lord healed me of that. And I've continued to stand in health in all areas um, but what is shocking in it all is that a lot of times with different things, we just kind of fall into it because it just feels normal. And that's what it felt like to me was things just felt normal. It was no big deal. I was just going through the normal aspects of life when all of a sudden I was hit in the face with the fact that like, this is not normal. I'm actually in a battle and what am I going to do about it? Um, and so that would kind of be how it hit me when he shared it was just that example immediately coming to mind of there's a lot of battles that we're engaging in that we have no clue are happening um, where the kingdom of God needs to invade that space, but yet we're not present to his presence to even recognize it. That's good. One of the words, as I talk to people and, and kind of hear their stories on the fights that they're in that they didn't know they were in at first, uh, one of the words that, that's come up quite a bit, I don't know if Brian Perkins is in here, but he was one that, that said this as well. But uh, this word comes up, normal. Uh, it, when I look, you know, people say, when I look around, what I was experiencing seemed normal. Everyone else seemed to be going through the same thing. And so you, you, look, at every, you look at these other people who are living defeated lives, and because of their experience, you go, okay, I, everyone else is going through this. So I guess this is just normal. Um, the way that my kids are acting right now, I guess that's just, that's normal. Um, and because no one else is putting up a fight, I guess it's something not worth fighting for. Um, 
So that's one of the things that, that kept coming up. Yeah, that was, that was the thing that I think even when we were talking this afternoon that kept coming up was, was you know, we, we see these large giants, you know, whether it be a diagnosis that you got from the doctor or something that you know that I'm going to stand, I'm going to believe, um, but it's those small things, you know, um, the, the jealousy that you have in your heart that you didn't know about, or you constantly comparing yourself to other people, um, those things that, that now have just become normal in our society, especially in, in these, this day and age of social media and, the, and things like that. Um, I, I like to look at it like this. You know, as a believer, um, there is, our natural looks different than other people's natural because it's supernatural. And so we need to be thinking in terms of, is this natural? Am I, is it natural or supernatural as we see it? Or is it normal? We want to be thinking in the supernatural versus the normal. Um, like he was saying, you know, our kids' behavior. It would be easy for any parent to say, this just seems to be how everybody's kids are, so that's what's normal. But we know that God has called us as parents to greater and higher things than that. Um, he's called our kids to greater and higher things than that. So it's our job to be led by the Holy Spirit in, in raising and rearing our children, children away from those things. So. Yeah. yeah, that's good. You know, one of, the, one of the most common metaphors that we use in church uh, to describe a battle is the giant. And we, we talk about facing the giant, and we want to be giant killers and, and that's good, and it has its place, and there are certainly battles that we face that involve a giant. Um, but I don't think that the battle with the giant is the most dangerous battle. Uh, it would be nice if every fight that you went into looked like a nine-foot guy in the middle of an open field screaming at you. Uh, like, it, it would be nice, because, because when that's happening, you know it's very evident. Like, I'm about to step into a fight. Like, and it, it, it stirs something on the inside of you. And when, you, when it's that obvious and it's that clear, you go into fight mode. You know, have you ever experienced this where someone comes to you and they say, uh, they say, yesterday I went to the doctor and I received a, a diagnosis that I have cancer. And instantly, without batting an eye, without wavering, you immediately go into fight mode. You, you're full of faith, and you say, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to believe God with you, and we're going to pray, and we're going to fight this thing. And we're going to see it leave. And then the, the next day, you're you know, scrolling through your social media or whatever, and you see someone with something that you want. And just not even, it may not even be a thought. It may just simply be a feeling that you have. That, that is just the slightest inclination towards envy. And because it's just a feeling or because it's just a little thought, uh, it goes unchecked. And you don't put up a fight with it. Uh, because I, I think that, that more dangerous than the giant is the serpent. So in, in Genesis, I want to take you to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. So the context here, just in brief, is God has created the world, the heavens and the earth. He's created all these things, and he has placed 
he created man and woman and male and female, and he put them in a garden. He gave them the command uh, to subdue the earth, uh, take dominion over all these things, take what I have created here in this garden and spread it, multiply, spread it throughout the rest of the world. And so in chapter 3, we see this. It says, The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's just only the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, Don't eat it or don't even touch it or you'll die. So God has told them, Listen, you can have anything in here that you want. Just don't touch this one tree. Doesn't it feel like sometimes we get that inverted where sometimes walking with God feels like uh, feels like there's just this one like this one thing that this one option and the way of the world seems wide open and seems so much more free but the way of like the kingdom just seems so restrictive and uh, and claustrophobic. It's because it's a lie of the enemy. Uh, God said, here's a thousand things, just don't touch this one. Um, And when you enter the kingdom, it's freedom, it's liberty, it's totally inverted. Um, And what's interesting is just the cleverness of the serpent. Because he asked this question, God said, don't touch this one tree. And so the serpent comes and said, do I understand correctly that God said that you can't touch any tree in the garden? And the woman says, no. And one of the, one of the thoughts that's, uh, that's catching traction and being written about is this concept of in negotiations, which we're all in all the time. If you're a parent, you're in it daily. Uh, but in negotiations, you're not trying to get people to yes. You're trying to get them to say no. Because yes is commitment, and no is protection. And no gives the person a sense of still feeling in control and protected. And so you see the craftiness of the serpent coming to the woman and leading her to say no. Like, did God say that you can't eat of any tree? The woman says, no, not at all, just this one. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows the moment that you eat from this tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything ranging all the way from good to evil. The woman saw that the tree looked good uh, and realized what she would get out of it. She'd know everything. And so she took and ate of the fruit and gave some to her husband, and he ate. And immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze... The man and his wife hid in the trees from the garden. They hid from God. God called the man, where are you? And he said, I I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? The man said, we know how this goes. The man said, this woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me the fruit from the tree And yes, I ate it. 
there's so much there to say. Yeah. And so God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And she said, the serpent seduced me, and so I ate it. And God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to slink on your belly and eat the dirt all your life. I'm declaring war between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head and you'll wound his heel. So you and I are born into a world at war. You have to acknowledge this. We're born into a world at war. Adam and Eve didn't realize this. You know, it's, it's easy when we're looking at their story and we know everything that's going on because we have the whole book. And so, you know, I, I'm curious, like, if, if your story was condensed into just a few chapters, how obvious certain things would be that you would look back and you, if someone were to read your story in just a couple of chapters, they'd look back and they'd go, of course, how do you not realize that what you're doing right here is going to end up taking you to this place? And it's because these, just these little choices that we make have these huge impacts. Uh, something that, that C.S. Lewis said, he said, good and evil both have a snowball effect. That's why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. What seems like a little indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a strategic point from which the enemy may launch an attack that would have otherwise seemed impossible. See, the most dangerous fight you're in is the one you don't know you're in. You think that it's just this, this little thing here. Because of that, it goes unchecked. But it's a strategic move of the enemy. See, he's not going to show his, he's not going to show his cards. Okay? Newsflashed, we're born into a world at war. There's... A, there is the beast or the serpent or the enemy or the devil that is out to destroy your life. Okay, that is his end goal is to destroy your life. And he's very crafty about it. And he's very good at it. So when we have to acknowledge that we're in a battle and that, that every little thing Every little thing is a strategic move, whether for good or for evil. And so we see Adam and Eve, because they didn't realize that they were in war, they didn't realize that they were in a battle, they lost the fight, and so they were, they, they were removed from the garden and taken into wilderness. But there was this thing at the end of this story that gave hope of this, this person, this offspring of woman that would come and one day bring healing and restoration and new humanity and that he would crush this serpent while at the same time the serpent would strike his heel and he would be this wounded victor. 
And so in Matthew 4, we pick the story up, and Jesus is on the scene. And Jesus is in a wilderness. And he's going and he's, he's fasting. And this is the temptation of Jesus. So you have Adam and Eve go from garden to wilderness and now Jesus in the wilderness fighting to take humanity back into the garden. And so this temptation comes and I think that I think that the temptation comes very similarly to, to how it comes to you and I. Uh, anyone as a kid think that, like when you pictured the story of the temptation of Jesus, like you, you pictured this guy in a red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork? Anyone else besides me picture that? Okay, a few. Uh, so I graduated on from that to like this cloaked figure uh, that was doing the tempting uh, but although this isn't stated, I, I really think that it's, it was, the temptation came in the same way that we're tempted in this really subtle thought. And so here you have Jesus. And again, because we're reading it as a whole, we think, well, uh, the, you know, the, the little section header that you have in your Bible, uh, for this section will say the temptation of Jesus. And so you're reading it and you know like, okay, obviously he's about to get tempted. Uh, well, he didn't have a section header whenever he went into the wilderness. <laughs> so he's praying and he's fasting. And the, the, the enemy comes to him, the accuser, and with this one little thought of, you're, you know, if you're the son of God, you're pretty hungry. Uh, you could turn these stones into bread. And just this one little thought, uh, seemingly harmless, um, non-threatening, and the difference between Jesus and, and the first Adam and the second Adam was that Jesus realized that he was in a war. And so he was watchful. And this one little thought comes to him, and he's able to resist the enemy and then go on to, uh, to bring freedom and healing into humanity. Uh, you know, one of the things that when I, I was getting people's feedback, something that, that Brian, again, Perkins said, that he said that, you know, in self-defense class, we talk about how uh, the, the most dangerous attacker is the one you don't see. Uh, and he said one of the best things you can do for self-defense is just simply be aware of your surroundings. Um, and so we see this in, in this type of battle, in this type of fight, where simply being aware of what's going on is huge. You know, it's also interesting in the first in in the first temptation, the commandment that God gave was don't like you can have all this just don't touch or eat from this tree. And so the temptation that the enemy targeted that command. Well, now the current command, the current marching orders we have 
Jesus says all the law and the prophets are summed up into this. Love God and love people. And so those two things are the, the aiming point, the, the target for the enemy, the, the points of temptation, the thing that he's going after now is those two areas, to, to, see, uh, to see your connection, your relationship with God, and your connection and your relationship with people deteriorated uh, and destroyed. Um, so I want to pass it to you guys. Uh, are, there, are, there certain, um, are there certain things that you've seen uh, either in your life or the life of others around either uh, an attack towards uh, your connection with God or your attack towards or an attack towards your connection with someone else? Um, you know, one of the things that, that came to my mind, even just hearing you talk just now, um, is just how incredible it is that Satan starts these things so young in people's lives. Um, you know, we have a two-year-old, um, Valor. Or no, he's three. I don't know how old my kids are. Um, <laughs> there's too many of them. Um, he's three. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so like... We had this really busy week, and he he was playing his iPad a lot more than, than what he normally does. Um, and it was unreal to see how quickly he got sucked into that and, like, was beginning to grow this dependence on it. Um, and, you know, it's easy when it's something that we tell him not to do, and there's a physical ramification for it. You know, putting your hand on the stove, he's done that. Um, he called it his hot hand. Um, and, you know, or, or the time that he, he drank a bottle of cough syrup, like he knew, like he felt terrible after he did it. So there was that physical, there was that physical thing that, that now he knows. There are I'm others ne- too. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There are plenty a, of others. There's plenty of others. Uh, so there's this, this physical thing that he knows I'm not going to do that anymore. But with this, like it's, he's creating this dependence on it and he doesn't even know it's a problem. We see a change in his behavior. We see it destroying his relationship, not destroying, but we see a disconnect in his relationship with us, his relationship with his sisters. Um, and so... It, it just goes to show how quickly it can happen and how young it happens. Um, I am pretty sure there are physical ramifications that have been happening to kind of pull him away from the iPad. His mom may have given him one of those physical ramifications before church tonight. <laughs> um, but, like, it, seriously, he doesn't see it as a problem, so we have to help him see it. Um, and, you know, I even, even I, like, I see that my phone is a time waster. It pulls me away from God. It pulls me away from my family. Um, and, and I even see it as a problem. Um, and I'm like, hey, God, help me. But then I do nothing to put action into asking for help. Um, I set timers on my phone that I ignore. So um, it's not just the little kids. I'm guilty. Facebook is wasting all my time. So. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things like if if you have kids, you are in a fight, okay? And it's not with your kids. Feels like it at times, but it's not with your kids. And so that's one of those things that we're talking about the most dangerous fights, the one you don't know you're in. If you haven't acknowledged that, that with your kids, you are in a fight for them, not against them, then you need to wake up and smell the specialty, very finely roasted, freshly roasted coffee, okay? 
And one of the things that, that was also mentioned by one of our staff members as we talked is it's important to note not only are you in a fight for your kids, but your kids are in a fight as well. No matter how hard you try to put them in a healthy, life-giving environment, they are still going to have to fight. And if your chief objective, if your strategy is simply to protect them in, in, this, in the sense of totally avoiding fighting, and, and like your, your job is to, yeah, just protect them from fighting, then you're setting them up to lose the fights that really matter. Because what, what needs to be happening is you're aware that they're in a fight. And so whenever they can't fight for themselves, you do it for them. And then there comes this time whenever you bring them into it and you say, all right, watch me do this. Watch how I do this. Watch how I fight for you. And then at one point it's, okay, let's do it together. We're going to tackle this together. And then it goes into more of a coaching type role of, now you're going to do this fight. This is your time. You've trained for this war. You do it. And I'm going to be here along the way to help coach you. But you have to learn how to fight. And so many times I see Christian kids. I I came out of a Christian school. I saw these kids that were so protected and so sheltered with good intention. Okay, It's not like the parents were trying to. It wasn't like the parents were trying to. But they never taught them how to fight for themselves. And sometimes you may teach your child how to fight, and they may just choose not to. But you have to, you have to be willing to teach them how to fight and leave that choice in their hands. So that's one of those areas. With kids, you're in a fight. Even if you don't know it, you need to acknowledge it and train them for war. Definitely. I mean, that reminds me of like just growing up myself, one of the biggest things that I struggled with a lot is I was very different than all of my other friends. So I was like loud and super honest and was not the sweet person um, that people encountered. And I wanted to be the sweet person. And so um, for years, really struggling with that, that jealousy and that comparison, which is something um, I know everyone struggles with, but especially females, I feel like there's a constant um, drive towards comparison. And so what I noticed is that not only was it destroying me personally, but it was destroying relationships that I had with people. That um, one of my best friends in that process that I always was comparing myself to, it started putting up walls constantly around our relationship. And yet that was one of the most like, life-bringing relationships that I had, um, that we could minister to one another and point each other towards Christ. And so recognizing there came a point, and honestly, it wasn't until I knew I was in a battle. I, I didn't feel like I was winning the war or anything. Um, but whenever I went off to college and stuff, we went off to college together. And I remember the Lord just ministering to my heart and saying, you can hide behind the shadow of what you think you're supposed to be, or you can allow me to illuminate what's within you. And in that moment, I had to make that decision to fight the battle and to be engaged in that war And a lot of times in relationships with people, with friendships and things like that, because of insecurities in our own hearts or even just um, a lack of communication and being open and honest with people, we can end up building up walls that cause us not to be able to connect with what God really wants. But the moment that I allowed him to tear those walls down, all of a sudden, 
I began to see how she needed me in her life and how I began to pour into her in a different way. And there was no thought around what it looked like, what it sounded like. It's not as sweet as she would say it. I was just blunt and honest, and that's what she needed. Um, And that's why the Lord brought us together. And then she would be sweet and kind and all of these things, and I needed it. And so I felt like for me, just recognizing um, those small wars, even throughout from childhood and on, a lot of times, if you'll look back on your life, you'll see kind of a pattern of key wars and key battles that end up starting to come up over and over. But if we'll stay in that place of I'm surrendered to the Father, and in that place I know I have victory, when those wars come, when those battles come, I immediately recognize them. They're not like a serpent that can sneak in anymore, but instead I have full eyes to see what's happening. Um, Another thing I think of is I know I've had, um, I had a just kind of interesting childhood and stuff, and my mom was not around um, for most of it. And so that's something that the enemy would use a lot and still tries to to this day of like, you know, I'm pregnant right now, about to have our first kid. And, you know, like you don't know what it's like to have a mom in a house. Like, how do you know how to raise a kid? How do you know these things? Just silly, stupid stuff that the enemy brings up. And yet it feels legitimate in the moment. And what he's after is my heart. What he's after is a disconnection from my husband, a disconnection from the people around me, and a disconnection from my God, because my God knows exactly what's needed in those moments with my kids, right? And so we'll engage in the battle instead of dwelling upon that and, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the worst parent on the planet. I have no clue how to be a mom. Like, I know how to be a dad. I'm not emotional. Um, I don't know how to cook. I'm really good at letting people bring me things, right? I'm just kidding. That's not what dads do. Just kidding. My dad was a great cook and like served everyone and still would to this day. If I gave him a call at any point, he'd be like, I'm on my way. Um, So dads are awesome. But, um, you know, I don't know how to do this. Like I could become super overwhelmed with all these things, but instead I recognize what God's placed within me and I know that he's going to train me as I walk with him. And so every battle that we find ourselves in whether it is blaringly obvious or those type subtle things that end up starting to happen in our hearts, what happens is the enemy is after your heart. And so the moment he begins to stir those thoughts and stir those things in our hearts and in our minds, and we begin to let them take hold, all of a sudden there's a disconnect either with God or there becomes a disconnect with people. Um, And those are the two things that he's obviously after, and they're the easiest things to target, and he does them through random situations. So when I'm struggling with thoughts like that, I can very easily find myself doing the opposite of what I feel like most people would do, and I'll disconnect from, like, all ladies, like, whoop, like, nope, like, I'm struggling with this, like, I don't want to be any connected to you, you're emotional, I don't know who you are, like, you are weird, Um, all these different things, telling you emotions, they get to me. And then I married someone super emotional, so I'm like, dear Jesus, help me. Um, Poor Jeremy. I love it, but he cries a lot. So, um, Dad, God. <laughs> it's always over Man. sweet things, right? Like puppy dog movies or shows, you know. It's sweet stuff, but... Um, I'm right there with you, Jeremy. Yeah. So I I can immediately, though, begin to just disconnect from people that I truly need to stay connected with, Um, and that's going to challenge me and help me to grow as well. And so it truly is those those battles that we face in our own hearts and in our own minds that if we're not 
engaged in it from the beginning, that when that thought comes, I immediately know where it came from because I know what the voice of my God sounds like. I've been in his word and I've listened to his voice and I say, this is not something he would say to me and therefore it's the enemy and I can throw it out um, instead of pondering it and allowing it to become a stronghold in my heart and mind. Yeah, yeah. awesome. It seems like, uh, yeah, it's funny how just this one little thought, like how quickly a little thought, if given permission, can blow into you have played out this whole scenario in your mind of your, your spouse, you know, Pastor Zach has talked about this before, but like your spouse is 15 minutes late and just this thought comes into your head of like, what if they're in a ditch? What if worse? What if instead of in a ditch, they're in a car accident? And like just these little thoughts. And it seems like, you know, another core relationship outside of, you know, parenting is, is the marriage. And, uh, I mean, it's obvious that the enemy is out for this relationship. And just how some of, you know, no one, I've never met anyone that goes into a marriage going, man, I really hope this ends in a divorce. (laughs) Never. But what happens is it, it starts somewhere. Just this one little thought of, man, I really wish my spouse liked to watch the same TV shows that I did. Like something as petty and ridiculous as that. You know what? That would be nice. And what if I, I bet so-and-so, I bet they, they, they like that kind of stuff. They like, you know, history shows and <laughs> stuff like that that my spouse doesn't like. I bet they can find someone, you know what? They can find someone who loves to watch cooking shows. We'd both be happy. You know, and like, and then you wake up and you go, oh, how, how ridiculous, but you don't fight it. You just let it go and it builds and it builds and it builds. And then one day you wake up and you're facing a giant that you're ill-equipped to fight. Um, so speaking of fighting, uh, so other things, so things that contend for your, your connection with the Lord, battles for prayer. That's super subtle, but I mean, what's more important than talking with God? Like, what's more important for a relationship than communication? But you know what? You, you had a hard day today. Instead of praying, you deserve to, to binge on entertainment. Um, and you, just all these little subtle things that over time deteriorate that relationship. When it comes to... And peace is another big one as well, okay? Peace doesn't come to the passive. If you want peace, it's a fight. And sitting around waiting, and this is one of the things that these, these small fights or these fights that you don't know you're in, you tell yourself, time will, time will fix this. Time will heal this wound. Um, or it's not worth fighting for. And you buy into these things. And because of that, you, you're in a war, but you don't act like it. Because you don't act like it, you get taken. And you get defeated. So how to fight? One is come into the awareness that you're actually in a fight. And that's two part. One, is def- one part of it is defensive and one part of it is offensive. Uh, if saying that part of the fight's defensive makes you uncomfortable, if you, have you ever watched a boxer not dodge? 
Like, probably not on TV because they wouldn't have made it that far. Part of fighting is the ability to defend and attack. Now, some people who are more passive people think that they can just keep dodging. Uh, But it doesn't work like that. At some point, you're going to get worn down. So part of it in in the sense of being aware and being defensive, I was, uh, when you think of the most dangerous animals, what are some that come to mind? Okay, how many of you thought of a, a shark, bear, snake, lion, tiger? Okay, so interestingly, uh, we don't have time for that. <laughs> Maybe. So what's interesting about that, I'm going to go ahead and go there just real quick. What's interesting about that is, is the most deadly animal in the world, by far, hands down, wins by landslide, is a mosquito. 750,000 people a year die because of a mosquito. I'm not saying that to put fear in your hearts. Uh, There are reasons for it. Most of it is in in other places of the world than here. But, I mean, a, a mosquito, this tiny little thing. Now, granted, don't get me wrong, if I have to be locked in a room with one animal, I'm picking the mosquito over the bear. But still, these, these fights that we think are the most dangerous, and we're on the lookout for it, I never want to have to face this giant. But all along, you're letting these little things slip in, and they're going unchecked, and you're not fighting them, and you're going to wake up one day and realize that the giant has already taken up residence. So uh, a couple months ago, I got to go with some friends, and we went backpacking. Uh, we went on a 30-mile hike in, in Colorado. And the, the Women Who Wilderness and the San Juans at the foot of the Rockies, okay? So we went on this hike in bear country, okay? We, were, we knew that where we were going, there are bears. And because we knew that, we were acutely aware of it, we prepared. Everything that we did, we were mindful of the fact that there are bears around us. The way that we prepared our food, the way that we managed anything that had a smell on it. All of these little things we were mindful of because we acknowledged the fact that we were in a dangerous territory. That's that defensive part. You are in a world at war. You know, you see people that can't figure out why they're defeated but their doors are wide open to the enemy. So on, on that trip, we, we went into it knowing if we run into a bear, we know what to do. Now, that doesn't mean 100% survival, but, but we're more prepared and more capable of, of handling the situation than if we went into it not having a clue. So you are in a world at war, learn how to fight. Be prepared so that when stuff comes, you know how to handle it. You're not going to learn. There's going to be situations come your way that you never in a million years thought you were going to have to face. Okay? But you have to learn how to fight. You have to learn how to fight. The most, and now getting into the offense, the the greatest weapon that you have 
is that God is with you. The greatest weapon that we have as believers is God is with us. We see this in Psalm 23. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. At any conflict you encounter, there's a table. Any war or battle or fight you engage in, there's a table that's there. Because God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's with you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. So we need to be on the lookout. We need to be watchful. We need to be prepared and learn how to fight. And know that you don't fight alone. Know that you don't fight alone. So what I want us to walk away from this with is I want us to be battle ready. I want us to be battle ready. Not just for the giants, but for the, the, the sneaky snakes. The little thoughts, the things that fly under the radar that we don't think are big deals. We need to be watchful so that when those temptations come, we win the fight. We win the fight. So let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you that you are with us. You are with us. Our, our greatest weapon in this battle, in this war, is Emmanuel. Is God with us? God, you give us grace in our time of need. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, that we would be watchful, that we would be sober-minded, and that we would come into an awareness of the fights that we're in that we don't know we're in. Or maybe we know that we're in, but we don't act like we're at, we don't act like we're at war. Stir in us that fighter spirit to battle, to fight, to win the wars that matter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.